Hello and welcome to episode 18 of Whiskey Talk from the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. I'm Richard Gosselin, editor of the Society's members magazine, Unfiltered. We heard in the last Whiskey Talk from Dan Sor, the founder of Cotswold Distillery. We're keeping the theme on English whisky this week, but travelling from the idyllic Cotswold countryside to a distillery housed in an industrial unit on the west side of London. That's where Bimber Distillery calls home. I'll let spokesman Matt Mackay tell us how it came into being, what they do differently, and his vision for the future of the English whisky scene in general. Bimber was founded in 2015. We laid down our first casks in May of 2016. So our initial casks have just got to that hallowed age of four years old. Our heritage is from Poland. Um, our master distiller, uh, Darius, um, his background is uh, both in engineering um, and woodworking, which I'll come on to shortly. But also he has three generations of uh, moonshining uh, history within his family. So he was very much learning the art of distillation um, in a moonshining sense in, in Poland from his father and grandfather. So using very basic equipment away from prying eyes in basements and woods, no real sort of at all automation, everything by touch, taste and smell. Um, and so out of that st- stems several things. Firstly, the name Bimba, which literally translates to moonshine in Polish. Um, our logo, the eagle, which um, comes from the top of the Polish flag. Um, the flag version is kind of a little bit traditional. It faces the left, the past. We've modernized it. We've turned it to the right to face the future. But also that sense of um, traditional distilling, using your senses, very much comes into play in terms of both our setup and our ethos to how we make single mold. Um, so we are a single farm distillery. Um, our barley is Laureate and Concerto and comes from um, Fordham and Allen, which is down near Basingstoke in Hampshire. They provide all of our barley. Um, we do not uh, mill the barley. We simply crack it. Uh, to promote um, both the flavours from the the husks, but also uh, clarity of wort. Um, Mashing, two temperatures, two two waters for sparging. Uh, A little unusual, but not too unusual. Where it gets more unusual is in fermentation. So our tanks, they were built by Darius and the team, who his other business is a carpenter. He runs a carpentry firm. So we've got access to all of those um, artisans right round the corner from a distillery. So they're doing all of our woodworking, all of our metalworking, um, helping us with the casks. You know, they fully understand wood. Effectively, there are coopers. So those washbacks are all custom made. They are uh, three and a half thousand liters. We fill them up to 2000. And there are seven, um, effectively, Monday through to Sunday. So one for each day of the week. We ferment for seven days. Uh, the washbacks are American oak uh, rather than pine, and they have been lightly charred. Uh, they are temperature controlled individually to around 25, 26 degrees, and they are open topped. So all that together effectively goes to one of the things that we fundamentally believe, which is that distillation is a reinforcement of the flavors and profiles that you've generated in fermentation. 
So whilst the active fermentation is, you know, it's pretty standard, three or four days, we're sitting in those tanks for another three or four days to promote the wild yeast from the open tops um, and to just build up a massive esterification, both from the yeast um, and from the charred surface of the wood. Um, so that promotes uh, effectively what a lot of people have really got into, which is our, our sort of new make style, which is highly, highly fruity. Um, distillation then uh, takes place on two um, Hoga from Portugal, um, Alembic style stills. They are both the wash and the spirit still now a thousand liters. We recently upgraded the spirit still from 600 to, to match it on a thousand. Um, spirit run takes roughly six hours and is um, direct fired. So what we do is they have rings which have both gas um, and, and steam. The steam starts to get them up to temperature and then we click on the gas and then it's direct fire. Uh, a lot of people think that that's going to then promote this some type of vicious, aggressive boil. Uh, it doesn't. Um, it's actually <laughs> low and slow. Um, the stills have been pretty heavily customized because we're all engineers. We're a bit technical. Um, and so ev every part from the base of the steel with the heating element uh, all the way through into the shell and tube condensers, everything's copper. So the, 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 the liquid is permanently in contact with copper for its whole journey. Um, the one thing which we do that I don't know anyone else who does, um, we don't redistill heads at all. Uh, we literally just take the smallest cut of the smallest cut. Um, and so heads are sent off to form. Um, effectively, I think Darius is sending off to uh, uh, companies who are making um, car uh, windscreen uh, cleaner. But yeah, we don't use heads at all. So it's like the heart of the heart uh, for a slow distillation. And going back to that um, essence I talk, talk, talked about at the beginning in terms of touch, taste, and sense, um, all measurements for cut points, they're all done by hand. There's no automation whatsoever. Um, so that results in our new make spirit, which um, we are often complimented about for its, for its style. And to my mind, it's very, very suited to what we're trying to do, which is to take that and then a similarly anal policy with wood. We're not just saying we believe, you know, we want the best wood. Everyone wants the best wood. What we're trying to do with wood is to actually get, I describe it as a, a wood MOT. So it's not just getting the, the, the carpenters, the coopers to look at it and go, yeah, it's structurally sound, seems good. It's knowing what was in it, what the purpose of that thing was in it, how long it was in it for, um, and then making a judgment of, is that going to be suited to our spirit style, which is pretty light and accessible. Um, it's really full of fruity flavors. Um, and so those are the sort of judgments we're making around wood. Um, we fill about a cask a day. So it's, it's the definition of, of craft. Um, primarily, we have been filling um, ex-bourbon casks, and we're fairly agnostic about the sources of those. A lot come from Kelvin Cooperage um, over in Kentucky, and we're agnostic in the sense that we don't have particular bourbon distilleries that, that we favor. We favor the consistency and then that MOT of the cask that we know what it is and we know we can work from it rather than it being beam, Woodford or anything like that. We also fill sherry casks and we're very fortunate that we have a good but limited supply of ex-Bodega um, Solera casks. Um, so those have proved very popular with what we've been making. Our first release 
uh, cunningly called Bimba the First, um, was five PX um, Excelera casks. And so we're quite lucky that we've got those because you can certainly, in my opinion, get a few fills out of that and they will last a very long time. So when we were founded, um, we were very much looking at, right, well, we'll fill X bourbon and X sherry and that's all good. And then it quickly became apparent um, we needed to do two things. We needed to provide we needed to provide fans, and there are growing fans, and we might talk about English whiskey fandom more generally in a bit because I think it's a thing, with a wider selection of expressions. Because the moment you um, you know you say we're doing this and this, invariably the question come: Well, are you doing that? Are you filling PT casks? Have you got pork casks? Um, and so, a there's that need to satisfy a demand for um, intrigue for people who want to look at that spirit and say well what about this or have personal preferences in terms of styles but b as a young distillery we want to see how versatile and adaptable our spirit is and it's all very well well we know what this type of cask is we know what the spirit is but until we filled it ourselves and see what happens we've got no idea what the result is going to be so that's very much converted itself into a, a, a sort of traditional approach, but with a modern mindset for cask experimentation in that we're filling a lot of ex-bourbon and sherry still, but we are now getting in a lot of different casks. Madeira, um, uh, my colleague Luke is playing around with rum. Um, I'm the beer guy, so I'm sourcing some imperial stout casks. The idea being is, is that some will use for a finish, give a light touch to provide a it's sort of a, a, a unique spin in the, in the same way that society does, taking a cask and then offering a different a different spin on it. And then some will put down full term and we'll see what comes out the other end. And that and that's both nervy um, because you never want to fill a cask and then taste it and go, uh, not good, but exciting because we don't know what's going to happen. So in terms of the kind of English whiskey scene and, and the fandom that you're talking about, how how have you seen that develop over the years? Sure. So this is an interesting one. And I wouldn't say that it's it's complete yet by any means at all. I mean, certainly when you not just Scotland, but I'll use it as an example, um, people are naturally, uh, particularly people who are not necessarily within the, you know, the sort of whiskey enthusiast base, people are naturally suspicious of whiskey that isn't made where they think it should be made. And that's just not an English thing. When you start to talk to people about Japanese whiskey, you know, we all know that that's been around for ages and only in the last decade has gone berserk. But even then, there are still people when you say whiskey, they associate it with scotch. So even something, yeah, like Japanese, French whiskey, anything like that, people are like, what? It's Scottish. And so we absolutely still find that with the notion of English whiskey. But within the community, within people who consider themselves to be enthusiasts, um, we are finding two things. One, that there is an increasing willingness to to explore, to taste, to try, um, to appreciate that distilling is a global activity and that while Scotland still has that amazing heritage and still, you know, treads its own path, that other countries are uh, equally distilling some amazing products and that they are well worth exploring. Um, and number two, that English whiskey does have, it has a character but it doesn't necessarily have a spirit character. It has a character in how it's done. And if you look at all of the distilleries, whether they're in beautiful parts of the world with high tourist volumes, 
Um, if you look at what's being produced, it is very much craft. It's small scale and it's independently owned. Um, and so I, that has a separate appeal to itself. As to whether English whiskey has category, it's an interesting question. Um, all of the distilleries about, I think it was about a month ago, six weeks ago, we had a Zoom meeting. It was meant to be in person, but here we are, to discuss the future. What, what is English whiskey? Um, and it's a really difficult question to answer. Uh, people are using different grains, different yeasts, different methods, different styles. And the one thing that we all did agree on is, is that, that sort of that craft basis and that independent state of mind. Um, so, so we are treading our own path together. Um, we are looking at how as a sector we can help each other, um, very much learning the lessons from the English wine industry who didn't come together, who didn't work together to say, we are English wine. They all wanted to promote, you know, ourselves are English wine. They didn't work together. We are talking as an industry about how we can all promote English whiskey mainly to, you know, to achieve that recognition um, that, you know, distilling in England has been going centuries, but it is having, as with many countries, a massive resurgence, that we're all doing different things, and that as a category, however you want to describe it, it is worth exploring. Do, do you get that sense that the, the distillers are coming together, that, that, that yes. there is this cohesion? Yeah, uh, that, yeah, yeah ab absolutely. Um, I mean, on this Zoom meeting, um, I think we had... 13, 14 distilleries represented. Mm -hmm. uh, I forget what the number's up to now. It's probably up to pushing up to 30 different distilleries of various sizes who either are whiskey distilleries or they are doing something else and happen to have laid down whiskey. Um, but yeah, we, we had, uh, I would say, between a third and half of the sector on a call. And yeah, there is absolutely uh, a passion, um, but then also a, an understanding that we are, we are stronger together and there is a need to, particularly outside of those enthusiast circles, to highlight that English whiskey is is a thing, I guess. Um, yeah. And and you see England becoming more of a whiskey drinking nation. Is 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 that happening? I, I mean, gin has obviously traditionally been a much stronger drink, and, and I'm sure it is. It's probably, probably stronger in Scotland as well. Uh, but do you see that movement towards England being not just not not, not just a place with 25, 30 whiskey distilleries, but a, a, a nation which is a whiskey drinking nation? Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely true, and I think actually that's been developing longer than the English distilling scene. I mean. If, if you take St. George's out of the equation, all of the other distilleries are frankly new. You know, there are, if, if they're not a baby, they're a toddler. You know, it's only St. George's that's been around, around longer than that. If you look at the development of whiskey clubs, whiskey bars, events, you know, that there are up and down the length of the country. Um, and, and to be honest, that's not just the relationship between English as a, a nation of whiskey drinkers and English whiskey. You know, that cuts deeper than that. That is English people enjoying Scotch, world whiskey, bourbon. Um, the two things are probably related now, but I don't think they necessarily were. I think there is, uh, I think there is just generally a worldwide interest in, in whiskey. Um, I've written about this a lot myself. You know, it's, it's several things. It's, it is probably driven by somewhat of the gym boom, the, the 
the desire to explore spirits uh, generally, but also the internet. You know, when 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 I got into drinking whiskey, um, yeah, I think I was using Linux just to do an email. But if you look at the internet now, the internet opens up so many people to the potential of what might be. Um, and yeah, you, you just see it. I mean, you look at lockdown and festivals and online tastings, and it's whiskey drinking has never been healthier. Uh, and that and that's because of the diversity and passion of the sector but also because technology has opened it and allowed it to be communicated to a much, much wider audience. And that's fantastic for all of whiskey, including English whiskey. What age are those generally there now? Uh, yeah, so the whiskies, I mean, if you were going to, we don't age statement yet. If you were going to, they would be three-year-old. Um, the whiskies that we are putting out in terms of single casks and vattings, they're roughly three and a half. Uh, in terms of the stock we're using. For me, and this is my opinion, not a Bimber opinion, I think that our spirit style really, really works with those casks at a young age. It really, really does. All the casks we're putting out at the moment are first fill. The spirit is obviously the, the tightest of the tightest. It totally works. I don't get any of that young, makey, yeastiness, despite the long fermentation. Um, What's potentially more interesting is then what happens with Bimba at a longer age. And obviously, we don't know until we get there. But certainly what we're starting to look at is looking at refill casks, just because if our spirit is so tuned to getting the most out of it three to five years, I can imagine that we're going to need a slightly different approach looking at 10, 12, 15. So again, we're, we're starting to look at refills, laying those down so that regardless, we've We've got options and we've got a palette of liquids so that we can still put out expressions now because, uh, you know, whilst the finances are, are happy with the way we're doing it, you still need money to operate. Um, but equally laying down a good portion of stock so that we can look at both the, you know, the longer term future of Bimba. And then, as I said, some of the more experimental tasks um, in terms of allowing them a full term maturation. Yeah. And you're based in London, Matt, right? Maybe when people think of English distilleries, like you said, it's these very rural, the Cotswolds yep. and Norfolk and, you know, the lakes and all that. How is it being a London distillery, a, a city distillery? Sure. So, I mean, I think it presents positives and negatives. It presents positives because we're right close to a lot of the action in terms of uh, bars, trade, shows, um, transport routes you know distribution it's fantastic it presents negatives in the sense that a lot of distilleries still uh, rightly trade off of their beauty you know their physical location some even to my mind push that uh, a little bit too far in terms of what exactly is processed water um, but that's a that's almost a separate one hour long discussion um, and so being honest you know when when People, if they want to visit Bimba, have to want to visit Bimba because you're coming out of London to North Acton and you're walking into an industrial estate. Um, so, it's you know, it's not like let's see, you're in the Cotswolds and, oh, this is lovely. And it's not like that. Um, and actually, that suits us because that means that the people who come to visit us are already really excited and passionate about what we're doing. Um, it does mean we don't get the passing trade of no one walks by us and goes, oh, this looks there's no one walking by us, you know. So it, it, there's 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 pros and cons, but it is it is very much part of our character. Uh, and so whilst there is certainly plans and talking around expansion, which would mean moving, um, a 
those are just talking and certainly covid has put that back at least at least another year in terms of the conversation absolutely um but also we are a west london uh, city distillery and that is who we are and so you know you're never going to see bimba moving out into buckinghamshire or the midlands or it's not we are a london west london distillery so even if we do move to expand it's not going to be that far Thank you to Matt, and we'll have more in our special series on the English whisky scene coming your way in future episodes of Whisky Talk. In the meantime, thanks for listening, and remember, you can keep up to date with everything that's happening at the Scotch Malt Whisky Society and get much more whisky news in our virtual members' room at smws.com. Until the next time, stay safe and cheers. Cheers.